Hi, I'm Anya Cox, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Last year, I moved through so many consecutive endings and beginnings that they all started to blend together, becoming unrecognizable from one another. I was familiar with the way love and joy appeared in the ashes of grief, but caught off guard by the grief that arrived woven into the fabric of fulfilled dreams. Even the sun spends half its time in the underworld. This life of ours is not just a life. It is equal parts death, equal parts loss, equal parts decay. There is no means by which to control or hack the gravity and centripetal force of the cyclical world. There is no trapdoor, no escape hatch, and nothing is spared. The key lies somewhere buried in the flowers Persephone picks, and if we get quiet enough, we can hear the fullness of integration percolating deep within the womb of her mother, Demeter. Tears become oceans, and the wind becomes our breath, What dies becomes the food we eat, digest, and feed to the reborn. The liminal and the material dance into an amalgamation of blended opposites where, for a moment, we mistake one for the other. The middle way isn't located in the sacrifice of poignancy. It exists in the balance we're only able to find when we outstretch our arms far enough so that our fingertips can live in two worlds at once. everybody welcome back to another episode of the podcast that was a little something i wrote yesterday that i posted on instagram that i figured i would read today 
the backdrop of Inside by East Forest from his, I think it's an EP, um, Music to Die To, which felt uh, very relevant to today's conversation. And, And this music holds a pretty special place in my heart because I definitely listened to it while I was dying, (laughs) figuratively. Um, But I have vivid memories of listening to this so much East Forest, but particularly this uh, in my cabin in Topanga, California, where I lived for a couple years, going through a pretty intense, pretty potent, pretty traumatic Dark Night of the Soul. And this music, along with so much other music, really helped me to stay inspired and feel comforted. And that's so much really actually about what my conversation with Jenny Kellogg is today, about how to find groundedness, how to create form and structure and containers for the limitlessness and the uncontrollable and the imaginative and liminal and whether that's, you know, emotional chaos or imaginative chaos, spiritual chaos. Um, how can we use things that are material, like music, like ritual, like art, to give voice to things that might be traditionally hard to give voice to? And I remember listening to this music, and every morning I would try to wake up and do some qigong to just get present and be in my body despite the deep pain that I was experiencing and the physical limitations through illness. I can't necessarily say that it totally helped me every day, (laughs) but it was so important, so important to find those structured, ritualistic things that I could do for myself during that time. And the conversation that you're going to hear today with Jenny Kellogg, who's a close friend of mine, who's been on the podcast quite a bit, is sort of an extension of a conversation we've had both on and off the podcast in in the past. But there's a very significant astrological transit that's coming up, Saturn moving from Aquarius into Pisces, that relates so well to this idea of structuring the unstructurable or grounded spirituality. So we decided to, sort of in honor of this transit, bring this conversation back to life, back to the podcast in new ways. And we covered a lot in our conversation and we'll likely be having more conversations in the future about this topic So I'm not going to repeat myself or bore you in this introduction. Uh, We're going to get right to it. Uh, But first, if you would like to get more involved um, in the podcast community, maybe join our book club or get access to recipes that I send out or writing that doesn't appear on the podcast at all, you can do that on Substack totally for free. 
Uh, if you go to A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S, so my name, dot substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com, you'll find all of that. Just enter your email. You'll get notified every time I send out a post or send out a new podcast episode. There are lots of opportunities to connect with me and connect with one another. So again, that's anyakotz.substack.com. I hope to see you there. And if you're already there, I'm glad that you are. <laughs> so we're going to get right into this conversation. I'm not going to play you in with any um, additional music. Uh, just play you out with a little more East Forest. And then uh, the conversation with Jenny and I. And then I'll catch you on the other side. once again with the one and only Jenny Kellogg. Very, very happy to be here. I'm, uh, I, I think, think it's my fifth time. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, not only is this your fifth time, but I think that's, it's probably, a, it's definitely a record at this point. I think you are probably the most frequent guest on the podcast. I am truly honored. I mean that sincerely. Me too. Um, so today we're actually going to have a conversation that if you've listened to Jenny and I talk on the podcast before, will sound a bit familiar. Um, this is a conversation and a topic that uh, Jenny and I are super passionate about. And it just so happens that there is an astrological transit coming up, Saturn moving into Pisces, that has a whole lot to do with the conversation we have, which is sort of hard to boil down and define. But I would say if I had to, you know, involves the themes of you know, what does it mean to practice like a grounded, healthy form of spirituality? Um, and what does that look like? And what does it not look like? And what happens when we don't do that? Um, and this transit that's coming up that was is going to last about three or so years, uh, so pretty significant, um, is really all about that. So we're going to jam on this concept for a while and introduce you all to it and hopefully... Um, inspire you to think about some of these ideas more deeply in your life and how they might interact and show up um, over the next few years. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. One of my favorite topics. Me too. And this podcast is not nearly long enough <laughs> to even have this conversation <laughs> for the fifth time or whatever it is that we're doing. Um, so True. you might hear uh, more from us about this topic in, in the future um, because there is so much to say, but we're going to do our best in about 90 minutes to, to summarize things. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I think, you know, maybe we can sort of just talk you know, a little bit about for those who aren't super familiar with astrology, you know, like what is the nature of a transit? What does it mean when we talk about this planet is transiting this sign? Yep. Okay. Well, I'll say it in my words, um, which is that we have a birth chart, which is static, and that is drawn up for the hopefully exact moment we were born. And um, that static 
birth chart stays with us as a map of our lives, our potential, um, our energies, our personality, things like that. And transits are, uh, refer to the fact that the heavens are always moving and that our birth chart can be affected by the shift in, uh, the heavens at any given time. And, uh, we were saying before we recorded that transits can have big effects or just um, you know, such as bringing change to a certain area of your chart, or they can make us more aware uh, of things going on in our lives or particular themes or topics. And as we go into this discussion, which we'll have, we'll be talking about maybe some intense or um, um, spiritual topics where there can be, um, you know, a heightened sense of energy or intensity. I, I think we'd like to encourage listeners to be aware of um, transits as just bringing these topics to mind or bringing these topics into our lives and our day to day experiences. Right. Right. And so, you know, obviously, again, this is a conversation and an idea or at least a collection of ideas that Jenny and I are extremely passionate about and have discussed before. And, you know, this is a result of, you know, our own charts and um, our own interests. And this transit doesn't necessarily mean that it makes these ideas appear out of nowhere and then disappear when the transit's over. It, it is really just sort of allowing space for us to focus on a specific archetype or collection of archetypes um, in mm -hmm. our lives and in the collective. So it's kind of like, you know, an invitation to like an architect, an um, archetypal study group or something. That's a good way to put it. Time. Yeah. And we may be issuing that invitation soon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, to help ourselves. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about, we're going to talk about Saturn, the planet of Saturn first, its archetype and it, what its cycle looks like. Um, and then we'll talk about what Pisces means. And then we'll talk about what it means for Saturn to be moving through that sort of archetypal, archetypal realm of Pisces. So yeah, do you want to give your personal little overview of Saturn? Yes. Okay. So for listeners who are familiar with astrology, I, I must declare my ideological biases from the beginning, um, which is that I sometimes bristle at the way Saturn is described in uh, Hellenistic or traditional astrology. So um, just an invitation to, to explore the archetype in a way that is meaningful for you. Um, but I think of Saturn as the principle of material creation, that uh, we are embodied we are incarnate, we live in a material world, and it has certain constraints like matter and time. And the fact that even though I can imagine anything and project my consciousness anywhere I would like, I still have to come back to my physical body. And I still have um, a day to day life until I leave this existence. And so, uh, for me, Saturn is, is, um, the force that holds us within material creation. Um, 
I think our uh, shared astrology teacher used to call it Saturn, the architect of this reality. Um, so we'll, I'm sure we'll get into more of that, but Saturn can be depicted in traditional astrology as like a really dour, angry, um, sort of ball busting old man. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, that's really kind of what I bristle at. Um, there's a, a wonderful book, uh, about Saturn, uh, by Robert Svoboda, which I recommend that goes into all of the Vedic myths around Saturn. Um, but you know, Saturn is kind of often depicted as the force that brings us sorrow, misfortune, melancholy, uh, by, by dint of limiting our options. Um, and I, I just kind of find the way Saturn is described in astrological discourse sometimes as just very sad and overwhelming. Yeah. And so I prefer to think of Saturn as a constructive force, um, as a force that's holding us, uh, in a positive way towards, uh, living the promise of our lives, um, towards helping us to reach our goals and our potential through limitation rather than merely taking things away and making shit really hard. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I also bristle a bit at some uh, interpretations of Saturn. You know, I, I think it's really unfortunate. Like we definitely are living through a time period when we don't have a lot of respect for reality in like many ways. Right. I mean, just taking the way we like cultivate food and, you know, treat the land, like we are way beyond our limits and our actual capacities. Um, and you know, and this is a, a big part of this conversation, really playing God to the point where like, we really think we have the power to do anything and to prolong life indefinitely. And, you know, yeah. there's such a sort of romanticism around this concept of Kairos, which is like this non-linear sense of time and like timelessness. And while I, I think that very much exists and is meaningful and magical, it absolutely coexists with Kronos, who, you know, mm-hmm. archetypally is the figure that um is Saturn, uh the, you know, god of time. Um and these things coexist and uh we can experience both Kairos and Kronos <laughs> at the same time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think you and I have a lot of respect for Saturn. Um, and I too am extremely ex- inspired by its capacity for creation because if like, if I actually want to manifest something in the here and now that I can touch and feel and experience that's Saturn. Um, yeah. So, you know, even if what I want to create is kind of magical and imaginary in its identity, it requires Saturn to bring it to life. Um, exactly. So, yeah. And do you mind if I share about Kronos and Kairos? No, please do. 
Okay. <laughs> so, um, and I'm going to pronounce Kairos as Kairos, which is like more the modern Greek pronunciation. But one of the first blogs I ever wrote on my nascent astrology website was about the difference between Kronos and Kairos. And the way we use it in astrology is kind of the way you described it, like some sort of expansive sense of time, whereas Kronos is linear time. But if you go back to the uh, farthest roots of the word Keros, it really meant time as a principle of justice, like justice expressed as time. It didn't mean something expansive. It meant spiritually, seasonality-wise, the right time for something to happen. And mm -hmm. I think that um, that's really what we're exploring in astrology, not getting beyond time, but with all the different shifting transits and, you know, all the different archetypes that are up at any one given moment, how can you discern what's happening now and what is it pointing and towards and asking us to, to consider, to build, to express in our lives? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Like using time, like opportunistically or something, right? Like it's there and it will always be there, <laughs> but we, we can choose to engage in it in the ways, you know, um, and also, you know, can't also, it is limited and also it is right. fixed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I, I think that's a good introduction to Pisces. Um, and so we have the planet of Saturn, which we sort of just described as embodying, you know, this capacity for physical manifestation, the architect of the material world, um, and the limits and the sort of, you know, um, incapacity of what that means. Um, and that planet's going to be moving through the sign of Pisces. And so in astrology, um, if you're new to it, one kind of way to understand the planets in the houses and the signs is we can think of the planets as the what, right? So here we are talking about time and um, structure and uh, materiality. And it is moving through the how, which is Pisces at the moment. So yeah, mm -hmm. why don't we talk a little bit about what Pisces symbolizes? Okay, so uh, just reminding listeners that each of the signs have a quality of energy, a mode, and those three qualities of energy are cardinal, fixed, and mutable. And that has to do with the life cycle, that cardinal is initiating energy, fixed is growing or thriving energy, and mutable energy is transforming and getting ready for the next cycle of life to begin. So Pisces is a mutable water sign. And... I think all of the mutable signs point towards polarity or duality and the, you know, kind of conflict that we have between two opposing energies. But Pisces might be maybe the most intense experience we have archetypally of this um, duality. So Pisces is a water sign. It's a mutable water sign. It comes just before Aries where the new cycle begins. So a lot of people would see Pisces as being, um, you know, the moment of transcendence or a moment of integration before the next cycle begins, a peak. Um, and 
Pisces as a water sign is associated with emotions. And I will stop there and see what you would like to add. <laughs> we can keep riffing for a long time. Um, yeah, well, we are in Pisces season right now, right? So for those of us, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, like, I think it is interesting to see it through the context of seasons, right? So we're in the last phase of winter moving into spring. Um, and I think this can also be felt really energetically at this time. It's like, what is that space before birth, right? Where we're like in the womb to some extent. Um, and so this can be a kind of like yeah, it can be a bit blurry or unclear, like it's not productive necessarily, right? Like we're preparing for something um, and transitioning into something. Um, yep. And seasonally, say. there's a deluge of water, right? Um, you know, before spring comes and uh, we move into more light. What we're really talking about with Pisces is like, I'm not going to say the opposite of Saturnian energy, but it is very much unstructurable, right? So we are talking about domains that are not of the material world, right? Things that we can't necessarily touch or see, um, at least in the traditional sense. So we're talking about, you know, belief and magic and spirituality and, you know, ideas around God and um, universality and we are all one, right? These things are not like tangible per se. <laughs> um, they're, uh, far more difficult to kind of, you know, how do we build a structure that represents the idea that we are one, you know, right? Like that's, it's, it would be difficult mm -hmm. to like build a, a building <laughs> that symbolized that. Um, but that is the, that is kind of, uh, the idea. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, my, the tagline for my podcast new dreams, new stories, new futures is so much about, you know, how might we take the ideas of Saturn and bring them into the unstructured world of Pisces and, you know, allow materiality and tangibility to occur. Like it's very difficult to even talk about Pisces um, mm -hmm. because it's not an idea that can be easily expressed through tangible words and sentences and, um, Especially, I think, in our culture, in our society, uh, yeah. we don't really have words to describe like non-mechanistic ways of being or thinking. Um, yes, and I, I imagine that many people who uh, have strong Pisces placements get tired of hearing the word sensitive, uh, you know, because of the association with a water sign. We're in deep waters where uh, our material uh, world and our senses are not able to be activated. So you have to perceive in a different way, uh, which is the conversation that you and I often have about intuition or what Jason Holly would call like night chart or night um, capacities right. versus the day and the sunlight. Like if you're in the depth of the ocean, it's very hard to get the light to penetrate so that you can see. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people with a lot of Pisces are often vegetarians. Um, like there's this inability to separate oneself from like, you know, everything else, <laughs> pain mm -hmm. and suffering and like of all types of beings. Um, 
I have a close friend who has a like balsamic Pisces moon um, and frequently like says that she dissolves, like <laughs> that she just completely dissolves and loses herself in everything else. Like, you know, the energy of everything else that exists. Um, so it really is, there's a, a permeability, I think in Pisces that like the boundary of, you know, the sign that comes after right Aries. I feel like Aries is such a response to Pisces and like, like I have to protect myself or I'm not going to survive. Right. Like, you know, being yeah. so open and so able to experience things at so many different levels on behalf of all different beings is a lot. Like yeah. there's, that's <clears throat> extremely difficult to integrate with normal life, right? Which I think, like you said, leads to this concept of being highly sensitive, um, which I think really exists on, you know, so all signs, um, the signs go in order. They're always in the same order. And so um, the opposite sign to every sign is always fixed, right? So Pisces is always opposite Virgo. And each of these oppositions, it's you can kind of think of the archetypes as like two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Virgo might pop up a bit in our conversation. And I, I think sensitivity can be applied to both Virgo and Pisces. And the way I kind of describe it is like, there's something about Virgo that's, you know, it's, it's more of this kind of like physical sensitivity, whereas Mm -hmm. there's like this spiritual sensitivity that takes place in Pisces. Um, and, uh, yeah, so much to say about Pisces. Um, Another thing that I'll bring up that uh, I teach in the Lunar Circle that I think was inspired by uh, Jason Holly uh, was really kind of thinking about, like, it's hard to describe this without looking at the chart, but basically, like, Pisces in the 12th house exists in a space where um, the sun, you know, emerges from its nighttime journey for the first time. Um, So it rises above the ecliptic. And, you know, what, and to sort of imagine what it feels like, which we do every single day, hopefully, which is that we wake up from sleeping. And the first, you know, experience that we have after opening our eyes is like, holy shit, this is way too bright. Like, it's too loud. It's too much, right? Like, I can't, I can't physically, emotionally, spiritually deal with the onslaught of, um, like, you know, sense stuff that's happening stuff of Mm -hmm. our senses um so that that is very much the experience of pisces it's like always too much um and really that that experience of emerging from a deep slumber and having to like walk across you know an eight lane highway or something like um like i'd rather not Yeah. It's like you say, coming out of a womb, coming out of a space where you don't, like I think of Pisces and Neptune in some, some ways similar, any space where you don't perceive yourself as a grounded, bounded, conscious individual can be Piscean or Neptunian spaces. And then, you know, um, I think we've all had this experience in one way or another, either through drugs, sleep, or dissociation, 
when you have to come back into your body, it's really, at least for me, it feels very physically painful um, and emotionally painful. And, you know, I think one of the questions is, how can we enjoy what Pisces has to offer? Um, How can we engage with it without... Um, and know our limits and, and without, um, doing significant damage and being able to fluently come in and out of Piscean states. Yeah, for sure. And, and I do think it's worth mentioning, you know, although we kind of scoffed at like some of the, you know, more traditional, maybe Hellenistic interpretations of Saturn, like, of course, all of these archetypes, planets, signs, et cetera, like they all have, these sort of healthy and shadow expressions. And for as much as Pisces, you know, for as much as Saturn can, you know, bring structure and bring manifestation, if you aren't willing to play by the rules, Mm -hmm. you're fucked, basically. Saturn will fuck you. Um, And that's where that comes from, right? It's like not having respect for the structure, not having respect for the tools, not having respect for the limits. And that's where we really get screwed. And, you know, I'm sure many of you, even if you're not super familiar with astrology, have heard of the Saturn return, which is when Saturn returns to the place in one's chart that it was when they were born. And this happens in um, our late 20s for all of us. And many of us can think back to that period of time in our late 20s and see that we were confronted with everything we hadn't yet confronted, right? It was like a, you know, all right, now you got to deal with your shit kind of a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we resist that, and if we fight against that, that's where Saturn really manifests in that sort of negative energy. But if we accept the limitations and we learn the lessons that we're being told we need to learn, Mm -hmm. then Saturn brings this capacity to create something new. Um, And so, you know, with Pisces, while this is the space of magic and you know, interconnectivity among all beings and ecology and like this beautiful, imaginative, inspiring, limitless space. It is also the space of just straight up delusion, you know, like there, if there is no limit and there is no, you know, which there isn't really, um, you know, we can bring a lot of toxicity to that space. Uh, yeah. Through delusion, through addiction. Um, I, I just read something or just writing something that I'm going to send out later, but, uh, reviewing a book that I read by Clementine Morgan, uh, called trauma magic, where she experienced pretty severe childhood trauma, sexual abuse and incest, and then like later turned to drugs and alcohol and then was like further traumatized by, you know, the psychiatric (laughs) system and, um, all of these horrible things. And, uh, and, and she talks about, and I totally agree with this, that, you know, drug, she, she describes drug use and and addiction as an inverted quest for magic, which I thought Mm -hmm. was such a beautiful way to describe Mm -hmm. that. Right. Because when we like reach for the alcohol or reach for the drugs, we're trying to experience something or escape to something beyond material reality, which is not in and of itself bad, right? Like we should all right. find spaces where we can exist there, except we're taking, you know, the wrong mode. It actually dis- it ends up disconnecting us more, not connecting us. Um, 
But so this, I think personally, you know, and what this podcast is about and what our interest is in is like that it is a beautiful Pisces is a beautiful space um, and contains maybe to me, at least the most inspiring you know, content that we can engage in. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet, uh, it's imperative that we recognize the dangers there. Yeah. I mean, I think just to recap, like what I perceive some of the Piscean dangers are might be, as you said, delusion, um, disassociation, but also projection onto Mm -hmm. other people. Um, merging with others, you know, in a, in a kind of codependent haze or yeah, fog. Like I'm an empath, that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but you know, it's funny you say that, like, so I was literally diagnosed as a highly sensitive child when I was three and there was a book chapter written about me, uh, in a book about highly sensitive children. And, I mean, being an empath, what it meant for me was everything that anyone in the room felt, I felt in my body. So I'd be sitting in nursery school. uh, If another kid was crying, you know, kids cry all day. I would assume something was horrifically wrong with them and I would start crying, you know, or, um, or I felt other people's pain in my body. And boy, is that dangerous. Like, you have to learn how to use those skills. And I could have really used some Saturn in Pisces lessons when I was, you know, three or five, right. Yeah. To differentiate myself as, as a, my own person to use my own will, my Aries Mars anger and say, no, I'm not going to take this. Yeah. But another Pisces pitfall, um, that I have really gotten into quite a bit. Um, is kind of too much spirituality or too much meditation, too much. I'll just like meditate until I have fully attained enlightenment, you know, um, and totally get off the human wheel. Like when you met me in 2017, I'm pretty sure I said this on the podcast. Like if somebody asked me what I was interested in life, I would say I'm getting off the karmic wheel. Like, that's what, that's my goal in life. And, um, you know, spoiler alert, uh, still, still here and, you know, not racing for the infinite, uh, as my guru might say, I'm still working on it, but, but I think the lesson in Pisces is to take all of that striving for, for enlightenment or, um, a, a high experience Um, and let it strip away our humanness and not in a, like, um, now I'm pure. Now I'm special. Now I'm the greatest magician ever, but to really help us, uh, actually deepen into greater empathy, greater compassion. And I think that's like almost what the pure expression of Pisces is, and maybe you could say I was expressing that just not in a fully realized way as a three-year-old, but to just have full compassion for all the humans around me mm-hmm. and to drop into to their experience and be with them in it. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I wish I had been diagnosed as that as a kid. I think that would have made things a lot clearer. Um, I could like not barely survive school and would come home hysterical crying every single day. And like the only solution was to put me in a bath or like when I was really little, mm-hmm. I had like severe colic and my parents would just like turn the vacuum on or like the shower. Like mm-hmm. there was just something about the white noise that would, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, you know, it's my theory that I think, you know, so many of these things that we diagnose like highly sensitive and even a lot of forms of like, you know, uh, Asperger's, for example, or like neurodivergence are not actually abnormal, but the like medicalization of normalcy within the context of patriarchal capitalism you know um like we are just not our nervous systems our spirit is not our soul is not built for civilization um and i think we all are born uh as children i mean you can see this in children like they're connected to things and like on drugs you know no yeah at all times, um, they're just like fully having a mushroom chip for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and then we work to, um, strip ourselves of that because those things don't fit into this like mechanistic, um, worldview and this idea that we have to completely like overwork and give ourselves to, you know, the man. Um, yeah. And, and that, so you know, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I think you know, the, the, a lot of the problems that are occurring right now that I think are going to come to a head in some ways, or at least like be brought into our awareness through Saturn and Pisces is, you know, I think as humans, we tend to do this thing where like something bad happens to us. So there's some degree of like lie that we were told. And then we react in an extreme kind of 180 degree way. And so I think a lot of people are waking up to the fact that we were sort of groomed to be like, robotic, you know, emotionless, compassionless cogs in the machine. And we're really angry about that. And so the response has been to like, take psychedelics and like, go to Peru and do ayahuasca and like develop spiritual practices and Mm -hmm. ascend and like, get out of the matrix and do all of these things that I think are like coming from the right place. Um, But uh, we've taken them a little, a little too far. Um, in many ways, which we often do when we come from a place of reactivity like that. Yeah. And, you know, as you were talking about the, you know, the op, the shadow side of the archetype or the opposite end of the archetype, the opposition, the polarity, I think that's one of the dangers of Saturn. You know, the dangers of Saturn is becoming so disciplined that you can't function. And like you're saying mantras all the time, or, um, you know, your, your regimen of whatever it is, your health regimen, your ancestral diet, your, you know, um, yeah. uh, whatever, uh, discipline becomes so strong that you don't allow yourself any freedom of movement. And so, you know, the balance here is really to find some structure, but enough structure that you still feel like, you know, you can flow and move within it. It's like Saturn in Pisces is like trying to find 
a channel to 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 bring out a little bit of the ocean into you know like like a channel from the ocean right yeah so what can you know what can we expect from this like what is this transit of saturn in pisces what do you slash we imagine might come of this um and what does it mean for these energies to coexist? Yeah, I mean, we're coming out of the pandemic. Well, I mean, the pandemic still exists, but we're coming out of the pandemic restrictions. Yeah. And so, you know, one thing I hope is that um, we acknowledge we continually acknowledge trauma like Saturn and Pisces and really um, continue to acknowledge that in our country and probably across the world, but especially in our country, we have a huge problem with depression right now. Um, and um, we are all pretty much traumatized. Like if you weren't traumatized before the pandemic, now you probably are. And so I think that Saturn in Pisces, I hope, and we'll talk about some of the other things associated with Saturn in Pisces, the rise of psychedelics and, you know. Maybe we should talk about like the good stuff or the good possibilities. Yeah. Our hopes, yeah. But but that we all kind of start to come to terms with just what you were saying, that our world creates trauma, that uh our physical bodies were not meant to um you know work 40 plus hours a week um at computers or in office settings and that we we have a lot of emotional work to do as a culture within our families within our communities etc yeah um so I think that's one possibility. Um, and, you know, I also think that hopefully that allows greater freedom of expression in terms of what you were saying around diagnoses and, you know, neurodivergence and all of these like minute classifications of mental disturbance Mm-hmm. or neurological difference that we all just sort of are like, you know, we're all kind of screwed together and let's have some empathy for each other, mm-hmm. you know, beyond our diagnoses um, and beyond yeah. our individual traumas that, um, uh, yeah, that, that essentially for me, I define trauma not as the, the injury or the illness, but as a separation from a sense of authenticity and um, an authentic self, a sense of agency. And so that would be more the Aries piece, rediscovering the authentic self, but first we need to grieve. Right. Another point that I think we've been dancing around or sort of getting at is that, you know, Pisces states can be um, collapse as well. They can be grief, um, you know, an overwhelming sadness, a confusion, yeah. being stuck in that, those deep waters and not knowing when is the dawn going to break and like, when are you going to get out of it? 
Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, Pisces is the last sign in the Zodiac and it's very much symbolic of, of death and, uh, and this idea of letting go. Right. And I, I think, so I've been thinking, I've been reading some really interesting things recently and, and thinking a bit more about this thing that we seem to be doing, uh, around identity and, um, choosing, identity terms and groups and labels. And, um, to me, I see this as such an expression of control in the face of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, like we have no idea like what's going on or who we are, who we want to be or who we are in the context of what's going on. Um, and I mean, this is a totally oversimplification, but I do think that this grasping on to like, but I'm a this and I belong to this group is this expression of our inability to admit we have no fucking idea what's happening and we have no control over what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in many ways, right, like you said, before we can at all work to claim authenticity or at all even understand what is that kind of like solid, you know, tree trunk that is aligned within us, we have to let go of all this other stuff um which is that you know our identity label is not going to protect us against the apocalypse or against death or against pain and grief um and yeah in so many ways uh you know that pisces asks us to let go right where where virgo is this expression of neurotic holding on (laughs) pisces is like no you have to let that go and and i think you know, for those of us who have like Pisces lessons to learn will often be handed these opportunities to confront our control issues, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like we, you know, really need to learn how to, yeah, how to grieve. Um, So, yeah, I think that in some ways that might sound like not very fun for people, but, um, you know, is ultimately incredibly meaningful and I think imperative to like rebuilding ourselves as having an authentic strong core yeah and you know I think there are more and more resources out there about how to grieve um you know beyond Elizabeth Kubler-Ross um (laughs) and yes please don't read that (laughs) and I and I think you know I wonder if Saturn in Pisces might be communal grieving, you know, kind of setting up more processes or more groups for just being with grief. Um, you know, I think there's a lot more people out there who are becoming grief practitioners or death doulas, um, uh, and just supporting, uh, their communities in grieving. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, and I think I, I posted this on Instagram. I think I sent it to you too, that there was like something happening where a bunch of like students at a Christian university were, there was some like revival at their church and they were all praying for like 250 hours straight. And to me, I saw that as such a beautiful expression of what might be to come, what might be coming as far as Saturn and Pisces, which is this like, you know, communal, like you said, communal graving and communal, um, embrace of the unknown yeah. and, uh, I think we have struggled and 
sacrificed like immensely at you know within like secularism i think without meaning and without purpose to some extent and without a felt sense of connection to the outside world whether that be through nature or through spirituality without that like i mean i was certainly lost um and i think there's a million different ways to practice spirituality but i think in the absence of it we really struggle um and so yeah it would be my hope that saturn moving through pisces brings us kind of new ways of experiencing the unknown and experiencing grief and experiencing god and all of these you know intangible realities in concrete ways right and and to move beyond like the virgo as the virgo axis the virgo sign would say um where's the research on grief and pisces <laughs> would say we just have to get in a room and cry and pray together yeah yeah that's good um so why don't we touch a bit on what we both see as maybe some of you know the negative or shadow expressions of what Saturn in Pisces might mean and why don't we talk a little like collectively like we have been at first and then we'll kind of we can get more into personal experience um but what are some kind of not as optimistic ways you see this transit potentially playing out yeah I'm I'm really concerned about you know the idea of collective spiritual awakening not because I don't want it to happen but just uh, you know because of the spiritual materialism because of our scientific materialism because the ways that we have um ignored our bodies not understood trauma and the effects it has um on our bodies and our souls i'm i'm worried about you know this idea that everyone's just suddenly enlightened and a shaman or ascending um and the idea of 5D, okay, I still don't understand what 5D is, uh, but I know what 3D is, and 3D is Saturn. Yeah. Right? And so, um, yeah. you know, how can we still live on the earth while uh, while we're collectively realizing that we need meaning? And how can we share together while we're collectively realizing that we need meaning without um without moving into spiritual bypassing and you know what anya um i was looking for something in my files this weekend and i found a worksheet you had made about spiritual bypassing <laughs> i don't even know when you made it or yes. why it was there uh but yeah. if you you know maybe that's something you might want to reissue or update uh, statements on how do you know you're spiritually bypassing, you know, which is basically, um, trying to get beyond the inconvenient, painful aspects of our lives. Like you just need to think more positively or just be love and light. And, you know, I mean, I'm someone who truly tries to live in the light every moment. But for me, that's a, like a literal thing, like a meditate and put myself in the light 
not tell someone that they need to be, you know, more positive, essentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I do. I fear that, you know, I mean, my hope would be that Saturn shows up within the space of Pisces to say, you cannot go to Peru for the 98th time. Um, and maybe that will happen. I would not be surprised at Saturn, you know, um, exemplifying its limitations through, you know, like the, it reminds me of, oh man, um, this is actually not my story. It's someone else's, but someone else met someone at a party one night, um, like some cocktail party in LA and they had a cocktail in one hand and a burger in the other. And they were talking about how the next day they were going to Malibu to do an ayahuasca ceremony and <laughs> was given the advice of like, oh, okay, well, like normally that's something you're supposed to like prepare for. Like you should definitely not be casually going to an ayahuasca, you know, ceremony after eating a burger and getting drunk the night before, like not a good idea. Um, and then someone else at the party was like, Oh no, 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 it'll be fine. Like, but, and I think this person was a, unfortunately, as will make sense when the story continues of like a veteran who had some PTSD mm -hmm. issues and they were going to it for that reason. Anyway, so it was already kind of weird. And anyway, the next day this happened and uh, the friend of mine who was at this party heard that they were like outed, like someone called the police on them. And the police showed up at this house in Malibu in the middle of people's ayahuasca mm -hmm. ceremony and arrested all of them and put them in the back of a police mm -hmm. car. And, them in. and it's like... <laughs> you know, the limits and the structure and the legality of the world coming into contact with, you know, this incredibly sacred thing that's been really, like, uprooted from and extracted from its, you know, original context and its original domain, uh, you know, and that's a particularly traumatic thing to have happen. But I think something like that, these, you know, like, you know, I just also, I think I sent you, or you sent me this, this church, like there's a church mm -hmm. now that is like getting around drug laws yep. by saying that taking psilocybin is their religion. Um, and so Which is a legal I precedent. Care. I mean, uh, speaking of ayahuasca, yeah. The, yeah. I believe that the Santo Daime yeah. church does have that, uh, that exception or exemption. Right. Right. Um, you know, and in many ways, like that's an expression of both, I would say, potentially the positive aspects of Saturn, right? Like how do we merge these, these practices and these, you know, this version of spirituality with the structures that be, um, but these things can also come into conflict with one another and the structures that be can very much, you know, limit or tear down the, um, sort of like, you know, grand limitless realm of um psychedelic drugs or something else like that um but i also i guess i'm concerned that saturn might you know bring forth and manifest more of this 5d ascension consciousness stuff right <laughs> like it might both limit it and bring it forward um in more profound or more like obvious ways yeah, I think so. I think that, um, you know, if you haven't 
noticed uh, spiritual discourse or, you know, if people in your life are not yet taking psychedelics, they probably will be soon uh, with, <laughs> with Saturn right. and Pisces. Um, but I think it, it also brings up something that we talk about a lot and something that I'm really um, concerned and something I think about nonstop, which is the idea of spiritual emergency and helping people who get into um, a dangerous, ungrounded state after any type of awakening. And that could be with drugs. It could be with meditation or spiritual practices, or it could simply be from a traumatic grief experience or, you know, other events in life that can provoke people to um, have a breakdown of some kind. And I, I personally want to use this Saturn in Pisces transit to really um, deepen my, um, my reflection and my support for people in spiritual emergency. And now that I feel that I've gotten through my own experience of that, and maybe you would say the same thing, um, you know, how can we uh, really bring people back into their bodies back into a relationship with nature, with other people, um, and with healthy expressions of spirituality. And um, and what are the supports for that in in our world? Because with when you when you can buy ketamine mailed to you at home, um, you know, with very little support for that. Or, or when yeah. there's lethal street drugs like fentanyl everywhere, what do we do? Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly dangerous. Um, and if you would like to hear more about, uh, Jenny and my conversation about spiritual emergencies and kind of how to responsibly navigate, uh, this, a spiritual awakening, we recorded a whole episode about it. <laughs> it's episode 88. Um, yeah, I, it's, I would agree. I mean, I definitely, I think I was very much like moderately psychotic for a little while. <laughs> um, and I think that that's normal. And the problem comes, you know, in the integration phase and, um, you know, it, it's, in, you know, there's no like how to book as to necessarily like exactly what's going to come up and how to integrate it in yourself, because it's going to bring up your own individual psychic content exactly. and its interaction with, you know, um, so everyone kind of experiences this a bit differently and at different scales and different timing and different like levels of severity and, um, symptoms. And we do absolutely do not have the, the, the support. Um, we need to move through this. And I agree. I mean, I think this podcast was created for so many different reasons, but one of them was like, holy shit, like I need to provide a space for other people to go through what I went through without feeling like they were absolutely insane and like in need of like, you know, medical, <laughs> medical intervention. Right. Um, you know, and at the same time that whomever or whatever is holding that space, you know, like 
in many ways, moving through that process does mean exhibiting signs and symptoms of like, at the very least, moderate psychosis. Um, and like, how do we support people in moving through that in a way that's not going to shame them or damage them or, you know, push pills down their throat, but also is going to hold them accountable to reality and to limits and to, um, a sense of groundedness. And I, I, it's a, that's a tricky nuanced space to navigate, um, and more of it is grossly needed. Yep. Yeah. And something you said the word shame. Uh, with Saturn in all of the water signs, <clears throat> I think a key word might be confronting shame. You know, because we haven't really talked about Saturn as consensus reality or expectations. But yeah. our process of coming to terms with Saturn as we grow um, and, you know, between the ages of seven, which is our first Saturn square to 30, our Saturn return is getting out of that childlike state and, um, integrating into consensus reality such as it is. And that process brings with it tons of shame. Like sh it's, it's just yeah. like a shame creation recipe. <laughs> and so when I, um, you know, when I work with people on their natal astrology charts, anytime I see Saturn in a water sign, I know that I, you know, it's shame is a big issue because the water signs all have to do with our emotions and shame yeah. is kind of a corrosive force that separates us from um, believing in and, and expressing our authentic emotions, whatever they are. Right. Yes, I agree. And I, I think, you know, not only Saturn moving through Pisces, but then also Saturn being in opposition to Virgo, I think a lot of that shame stuff can come into play in the Virgoan space as well, as far as like self-hatred and self-harm and like, you know, blaming ourselves for external problems okay. or, um, and, Right. And not processing our emotions and allowing them to fester and stagnate within us. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think those things are going to come forth a lot. And, and, you know, I think in many ways, this unhealthy version of spirituality, the spiritual bypassing, the, you know, what Stephen Jenkinson, I love called these like beam me up Scotty solutions where we're just like, I'm just going to like take ayahuasca and go to Mars. <laughs> like, okay, problem solved. Um, that so many of these desires that we have relative to escapism um, and spiritual bypassing, I think come from this place of, you know, unprocessed trauma, specifically the form of like, you know, self-hatred mm -hmm. and, um, you know, we don't like ourselves. So we, you know, seek God and God will love us. And so there's a lot of, of this work, I think on ourselves that needs to be done prior to entering into some of these, you know, more spiritually advanced spaces. And we just, we, you know, we don't have the tools. I, I bring up inner gold by Robert mm -hmm. Johnson so frequently because it, touches so brilliantly on so many different things that I'm 
really passionate about. But one thing, and I think we've talked about this before in our previous discussions, but, you know, he sort of speaks to what you were just talking about, this desire that we have to like get off the karmic wheel and become enlightened and that we have less and less respect for authority. So we're no longer like, you know, worshiping a guru, we're moving toward this space where we like see that God is within mm-hmm. us. And, you know, I think this was really the basis of a lot of Jesus's teachings that like we hold this gold within ourselves. The problem is that there is a process between worshiping God as like this outer authority figure and integrating that into ourselves that doesn't just happen overnight. And I think that's a beautiful goal and a beautiful path to follow and an ideal to hold up. But what we don't recognize in our, you know, ego and in our desire to escape is that we're not capable of that. We haven't done nearly enough work to like become a rainbow being. And that maybe this idea of like responsible spirituality and maybe this idea of Saturn and Pisces is how do we have respect for the transition, right? Because like that transitory space is also, I think, ruled in some way by like the limitations and structures of Saturn. You know, we... I remember like when I went, got into therapy, this last iteration of therapy, um, at the very beginning, I was having so many epiphanies, like constantly. And I kept thinking that each epiphany was like the mm-hmm. epiphany that like I had figured mm-hmm. it all. <laughs> and I remember like I'd had like three therapy sessions and I like vividly remember going in to the fourth being like, I got it. Like, I'm all good. I I figured it all out. And her just looking at me like, uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it's a that is a long process. I mean, if we sort of bring this, you know, down into a person on a personal level, right? Like to move from, you know, let's just take an extreme example, like being raised in Mormonism or like fundamentalist Christianity, extracting yourself from that, rebuilding your life, rebuilding relationships, being alienated by your community, totally restructuring your belief system if you can, you know, um, and, and not only coming up with, but then living into this new identity. I mean, that is not something you just decide to do. That can take an entire lifetime. Um, and so if we kind of broaden that, like as a projection to this idea of like spiritual enlightenment, you know, this is going to take many, 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 many life cycles. Yes. Um, and may, like, yes. maybe what's, you know, the most Saturnian responsible thing to do at the moment is to respect that, like, we don't have all the answers after three therapy sessions. Yeah. And something about uh, a beautiful symbol related to what you're saying is that so the lunar month is 29.5 days and a Saturn synodic cycle is 29.5 years. So like in that lunar month, what's, what's building, you know, being created and destroyed. And in those 30 years, 29 and a half years, what's been created? Um, and what's the process? Um, and at your Saturn return, which happens around age, well, it's final, you might say at 29 and a half. So usually starts around age 27. But so at that point, your, um, your first Saturn return, for example, age 27, 
you're confronting everything that was built within you, whether you're a Mormon or whatever life you've lived right up until that point. Yeah. 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 Um, why don't we talk a bit about to sort of really further contextualize this for people, um, kind of grounding this in some pop culture examples and maybe talking about as well, what people can look for individually. Um, so, you know, transits just as a sort of recap are, you know, planetary movements through signs, uh, that affect all of us. So for all of us, Saturn will be moving through the sign of Pisces, but also we each have these, um, natal charts that are fixed. And so it's basically like getting a little map of the sky at the moment we took our first breath and wherever any planet is in the sky, it's intersecting, you know, and, and aspecting and, and coming into relationship with different parts of our own chart. And so everyone's going to experience the transit in different ways because their own makeup is different and their own relationship to Saturn is different. And, you know, some of us are more Saturnian than others. And some of us, um, are just more integrated in Pisces than others and, and these different things. So, um, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, even more specifically the Saturn returns coming up in Pisces and what that might mean or symbolize for those who, um, might be experiencing that. Yeah. So, um, I'm sure many of your listeners will have heard you talk about your Saturn return on your podcast. So I would encourage anyone who hasn't heard that to go back and, and listen, um, if you have your Saturn return coming up. Uh, but as I just mentioned, yeah, your Saturn return, I think is, um, an opportunity to, to evaluate the structures in your life. Um, and look at the, the way that you order your own reality and the way that you're building towards, um, what you're building in your life. Maybe you don't know, but maybe you do. And if you don't know, that's okay. Um, (laughs) so the uh, people who are going to be experiencing their Saturn return, um, who have Saturn in Pisces, their first Saturn return, were born early 1994 through about 1996. Um, yeah, and there there was like a brief window where uh, Saturn went into Pisces in 93, oh. I think, and then went back to Aquarius. But so there might be people who have that little blip of Saturn in Pisces. I think it was like was zero degrees of Pisces for like six months or something like that in that sometime in mm-hmm. 93 and maybe same with um, 90, yes. 1996 that it was in Aries a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, um, well, there are some famous people having their first Saturn returns that we can all, uh, watch from afar, <laughs> uh, yeah. such as Harry Styles. He might be, um, one of the early Saturn returns, um, yeah, I don't know if you want to comment on that. <laughs> I don't know that I have a ton to say. I, I, don't, I don't know how like well-versed in Harry Styles I am. Um, although I will say though, like it is interesting to think about celebrities relative to Saturn returns, um, at the forever 27 club, this sort of group, large group of famous 
people who um, died basically right prior to or during their Saturn return is obviously a very tragic but potent example of the limitations of Saturn, right? Especially in the realm of like celebrity, because so much of it can often be this experience of limitlessness, limitless wealth and access and drug use and sex. And um, especially with young people, given access to all of that without the means of a capacity to deal with it can be extremely dangerous. Um, So like Amy Winehouse, Mm -hmm. Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So hopefully none of the people that you're (laughs) listing are going to join that club. (laughs) That would be really terrible. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't know that much about Harry Styles, but, you know, I think for me, the question is always like, I'm looking, I look at people and I think, you know, how, how willing have these young people been to confront these things prior to their Saturn return? And I think, some people are better at that than others. I did not confront these things. Um, and so I think in many ways, my Saturn return was pain, was very painful and very difficult. Um, and I don't know Harry Styles personally. It, it is interesting to kind of watch his own personal transformation. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, as far as how he's dressing and how he's identifying and being in this like, you know, age difference relationship with Olivia Wilde, like this could be a sign of, someone like going off the rocker to some extent and like, you know, tumbling into a crisis or like, and again, this would have to be someone that like knows him or himself like well enough, um, could also be a sign of like embracing his true self, you know, on the earlier side. And so maybe, you know, his Saturn return will bring more of the kind of constructive energy than the, the limited, um, negative energy, but yep. don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And then, um, so I found pop stars. There's Justin Bieber, um, who I believe has a son Saturn conjunction in Pisces. Um, you know, Justin Bieber, he's already married and has gone through significant health crises lately. So sometimes, you know, a lot of times things that will happen during your Saturn return is that you will get married, have children, settle down. Um, that's what happened in my case. Right. I got married during my Saturn return. You got divorced during your Saturn return. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people have babies during their right. Saturn return. So, you yeah. know, that might be something to watch. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I feel like Justin Bieber, like, found God at some point. Like, I think there was, like, some concern that he was, like, you know, drinking and getting pulled over and DUIs mm-hmm. and stuff, but... So I don't know, maybe he's found some some grounded center in his mm-hmm. life. Um, well, what are some others that you found? Maggie Rogers, who has a Gemini rising chart with Saturn in Pisces in the 10th. And she interestingly has a 12th house uh, son in Taurus. Mm. And I believe she has the nodal axis in Taurus and Scorpio as well. Um, so I, you know, my perception is that her career is doing quite well. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Saturn in the 10th. If this, you know, time period is very productive for her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I found a bunch of people who are going about to go through their second Saturn return. Um, and so this normally happens, well, like around 
your late 50s, 60-ish. Um, and yeah, I think this is, you know, super interesting. We mostly, when you hear Saturn returns, we we talk about the first one. Um, and oftentimes that's kind of the most extreme uh, and hopefully we learn the lessons that, you know, Saturn was imparting, imparting the first time around. And so, you know, the lessons of the second one are not as severe, uh, but not always do people do that, right? It's very easy to just opt out of the lessons that Saturn hands you during the first Saturn return. Um, and later in life, when you go through the second one, um, a lot of those themes, I mean, regardless, right, regardless of how you dealt with the first one, a lot of the same themes of your first Saturn return will return. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, what have you learned and what have you not in that period of time? Um, and one really, uh, awesome example I found was Albert Hoffman has, uh, although he's not going through a second Saturn return. Yeah. He's no longer mm -hmm. alive. <laughs> but he was born with, um, Saturn and Pisces and this is for those who aren't familiar, the chemist who basically invented LSD. Um, and so like, I sort of like lit up when mm -hmm. I found this because I felt like, you know, to tangibly take this, you know, out of body psychedelic experience and put it into, you know, a liquid or a powder, mm -hmm. this like mm -hmm. chemical form is so mm -hmm. much, um, using Saturn. Uh, to, you know, manifest sort of these Piscean archetypes. Um, and I think, you know, relative to Saturn moving through, um, Pisces coming up, it would also be interesting to see what happens with LSD. And I know, like, you know, this is one of the many, uh, psychedelic drugs that are now really, you know, there's a big push to use them in therapeutic ways. So whether that's seeing like more, you know, psychedelic therapy or, limitations um inflicted upon the desire to have more psychedelic therapy it could go either way um michael bay is going through is about to have his second saturn return this is the director and filmmaker who makes like you know transformers mm -hmm. and takes the most kind of fantastical imaginative realms and brings them again into material reality through film um and perhaps the most fascinating, which I've been like hardcore geeking out about over the past few days, uh, and Jenny made this discovery as well, is that J.K. Rowling um, has Saturn conjunct Chiron in Pisces, we think in the second, if the birth time is accurate, but it it seems it seems quite accurate. Mm -hmm. Um and Chiron just briefly you know, is, is the wounded healer. So, um, you know, all I'll say about this is that Chiron's presence here with Saturn and Pisces brings a particularly strong, <laughs> like, and focus and focused energy on this part of her chart. And, um, if she's an Aquarius rising, which is what the internet thinks she is, um, it would also mean that Saturn is her chart ruler in traditional, by traditional rulership, um, again, adding more. Um, and, uh, if you are, for those who aren't familiar with her life, basically she experienced her first Saturn return. She's spoken really openly about this, uh, went through a really rough time, was in an abusive relationship, had a kid, um, like physically abusive and, you know, basically needed to escape and wrote Harry Potter, in the context of this really brutal, devastating and terrifying period of time in her life. Um, 
And uh, so to sort of imagine, you know, this person going through a Saturn return in Pisces, you know, really using her imagination and these visions mm-hmm. and all of these things that she was concocting in her head. And her wound, um, like using you know, her... And her wound, right. You know, using yes. her Chiron experiences yeah. and putting it into something constructive. Right. Um, and then it looks like as Saturn moved out of Pisces and into Aries in her third house, uh, which is ruled by Gemini, so really speaks to writing and communication and self-expression, is when the first Harry Potter book came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when Harry Potter first came out, you know, I think everyone in my generation read these books and or some of them at least and were familiar with them. And and one big backlash that occurred at the time was... Um, from the fundamentalist Christian community, basically accusing her of witchcraft and introducing kids to demons and wizards and, you know, um, all of these things that they did not want their children introduced to. And so there was very much this witch hunt um, that was occurring around her work, which uh, is interestingly kind of recurring um and not necessarily as a result of her writing in Harry Potter but her beliefs and values that she's expressed relative to the trans movement um and she's expressed some very controversial beliefs that while she supports trans rights and equality for all that she does not believe that um getting surgery makes you a woman and um thinks that we should reserve spaces for women who are born biological women and so she's, you know, been accused of of being a turf. And so bizarrely, <laughs> while the fundamentalist Christians and the right were burning her books, uh, really to follow her first Saturn return, she is once again being targeted, but this time by um the left, and they are also burning her books and accusing her of violence to trans people and all of these things. Um, so yeah, there's a really fantastic podcast that just came out called The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, um, which I think is bringing so many of these things to light in really beautiful, poignant ways. And also, like, especially I think for anyone born in my generation, especially those who read these books, but like really grew up in the 90s, it, it provides really concrete kind of context and explanation for you know, what that time period was like. Um, yeah. So I, I listened yeah. to the podcast as well on your recommendation. And one of the things that really struck me is that the person making the podcast, the journalist, she grew up in a fundamentalist Christian community and she alluded to the fact that she was against JK Rowling. So I, that hasn't, yes. I haven't listened to the latest episode, but I don't believe that's come out yet. But one of the things that really um, I reflected on is that um, such a great percentage of your generation were raised in evangelical or fundamentalist environments. And, um, you know, by accident of my birth, I was kind of isolated from that. But now... Um, mm-hmm. But now I imagine that many people with Saturn and Pisces who are going through their first Saturn return grew up in those environments. And you've had, you know, many eloquent guests on your podcast talking about the process of, they call it deconstruction or, you know, leaving those environments. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting aspect 
of this conversation mm-hmm. and the conversation around J.K. Rowling, you know, um, because what it points out is when what you're saying is that, you know, she's been demonized from both sides of the political or ideological spectrum um, in a very virulent way. And yeah. so Saturn and Pisces, you know, can hopefully ask us to come to terms with our demon- demonization of the other side of the coin, the other side of our ideological polarity. Yes, totally. Yeah, I had this weird, like, chain of things occur where I had somehow stumbled across, I think it was when I was writing this article that I just wrote about, like, what I see as the changes that are occurring in liberalism, that, like, liberalism is strangely now becoming incredibly authoritarian, um, and I found Megan Phelps Roper, who is the host of this podcast and who grew up in the Westboro Baptist Church, which I was incredibly familiar with growing up because my dad was gay. And mm-hmm. here were these like mostly it was anti-homosexual um, protests and they would go to the funerals of like fallen soldiers at basically blaming homosexuality for their deaths, basically saying like, because we sin yeah. So they would go and protest all. Oh, and they went to protest like the Sandy Hook mm-hmm. funeral of the mm-hmm. children and said that that was also a result of homosexual sin. Um, so I was like extremely familiar with this anyway. So I find this woman through kind of researching, like, how have things shifted because I feel like the right is now looking or the left is now looking more like the right and I'm like drawn to the right in ways that I wasn't before. And and she's telling this story. She had a TED talk um, that she did and telling the story about, you know, the process of her leaving the church, which was very much through the compassion and like curiosity and understanding of others. Mm-hmm. And like she met people on Twitter who would like question her in ways that weren't confronting or, you know, triggering and, and through all of through that, you know, communication and empathy, was she able to leave? And I saw this TED talk and I wrote her on my list. I was like, oh, I should have her on my podcast. And then it was like maybe a day later that I saw that she was hosting this podcast with J.K. Rowling, which was like so perfect (laughs) because it was like exactly what my point was like, wow, don't you see the bizarre, you know, correlations between these two worlds now that are colliding? And and I think that's very much really what this podcast showcases, Mm -hmm. among other things. But um, so, yeah, I highly I highly recommend that. And you know, in, in for so many reasons, but relative to this transit, really thinking about, you know, how these transits bring forth energies and archetypes in cyclical ways, right? So, yeah. you know, there are ripples upon ripples upon ripples. Um, and so it is interesting to go back to, in time if you were, you know, alive and uh, during that the last um, Saturn and Pisces transit and mostly 94 through 96 um, and what was going on for you, what was going on in the collective and um, just sort of taking note uh, and in order to figure out what kind of like, you know, trends and themes might recur. Well, I think, you know, what you were just saying Mm -hmm. expresses the symbol of Pisces, which we haven't talked about, which is two fish swimming in opposite directions. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like a, yin yang uh, circle and that's the paradox of pisces 
um, which is we try to get as far away as we can from the opposite pole, but actually we're merged with the opposite pole and we're stuck with it. And so how can we um, hold a paradox within ourselves and let it open us to um, to the fact uh, that we are all one or open us to greater compassion for all points of view. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful sort of point to end it on. And, um, and yeah, and I think, a, you know, a point that's made in this podcast and that I've made before too, which is like, how can we actually see difference or polarization as a means by which to come together mm-hmm. Right. So like the goal in, you know, we are all one does not mean we are all the same and agree all the time. Right. right? It's the it's the capacity and the ability for us to coexist among great difference and a spectrum of experiences. Um, and that is really what we're seeking. And, you know, I think also that point, you know, it becomes clearer and clearer you know, if you are working toward your, you know, on your discernment around who's full of shit and who isn't, which I think is a very like Saturn moving into Pisces uh, thing to focus on. Um, But to really ask yourself the question, not just, you know, relative to others, but also yourself, like, what is the end result of your own, you know, spiritual practice or, you know, where is the spiritual practice of this guru or this Instagram person that you're following? Like, where is it ultimately going? And what is it ultimately symbolizing? You know, is it, is it bringing more of us together? Is it allowing us to become, you know, work more regeneratively with the land? Is it further connecting us to the natural world? You know, is it moving us away from commodity and capitalism and, um, you know, wealth differences and all of these things. Uh, and that's, I think, something to kind of keep asking ourselves always, but particularly over the next few years is, um, you know, what is our intention here? And what is this, what is this practice or this tool or this drug that I'm taking? You know, where am I going with this? Um, yeah. And to really, be able to face your own yourself and find tools for facing yourself. Um, which, yeah. you know, some spiritual schools would say is that's the entire practice of enlightenment is, um, you know, stripping yourself or facing yourself or understanding where you're attached. Um, and the point isn't absolute detachment exactly and then you'll be enlightened though some people might argue it is uh but to just as you say said earlier let go of more and more until you merge yourself with the source of compassion right yeah are you becoming more connected or less connected maybe as a right. short yes yeah awesome well thank you jenny this is always a pleasure um and yeah, I recommend if uh, you enjoyed this conversation to kind of go back and find some more conversations that Jenny and I have had, um, which kind of touch in and out on this topic quite a bit in, you know, a myriad of different ways. Um, and 
yeah, I also, Jenny, want you to tell people where to find you if they don't know. Um, but also to say that we, because we are so passionate about this and because it seems like perfect timing with Saturn moving into Pisces, that we are kind of playing with the idea of maybe offering something more substantial um, in the way of this transit and teaching and learning. So stay tuned for that. I would say the way to stay tuned, the um, the best way is on Substack, anyakots.substack.com. And if we announce anything, that's where it will be. So, uh, but yeah, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you or get a reading or work with you in some capacity? Yes. Uh, my website is amalthia.guide and that's A-M-A-L-T-H-E-A.guide. And I have a new website as well called akashictraining.com. That's Akashic spelled A-K-A-S-H-I-C training.com where you can learn in a very grounded and supported way how to access uh, the database of your soul and um, open the energy of your heart and feel more connected to the divine. And yeah, I, which I highly recommend because I did it. Yeah. How was it? <laughs> Went through this, the course. It was great. It was awesome. Yeah. And if this is of interest to Jenny and I recorded also a whole conversation about the Akashic records, I think that was the last one that we did. Yeah. Um, which was like, probably a year ago at this point. Wow. Time. Uh, so yeah, you can listen to that, but it was, it was lovely. And I, I would say also like for people who struggle with seated med- meditation, which is definitely something I do. Um, I think learning about the Akashic records, um, and sort of like giving yourself a specific kind of structured practice, uh, in order to accomplish this is really helpful. Um, and yeah, it was is something that I really looked forward to and, I think I practice other forms of meditation, but the kind of like seated stillness one, it was like not really my jam. And this allowed me to engage in that in a way that felt um, much more enjoyable and and fun, honestly. <laughs> so yes, highly recommend. I'm glad. Thank you for that. And mm-hmm. I guess yeah. I'll also put a plug in for the uh, Millennials Guide Book Club because it is March 2023 when yes. we're recording this and I'm going to be hosting the next book club, which is reading, uh, the dawning moon of the mind by Susan Brind Morrow, uh, which is a translation of the Egyptian pyramid texts and one of the oldest spiritual rituals on earth. So I really look forward to, if you're interested in these topics, to, uh, having you join us for that. Yeah. And you can also find all of that on Substack. It's Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S dot Substack dot com forward slash book club intro. Um, and that describes all of the ways to sign up if you haven't already. And if you have already signed up, you'll be getting an email from me today um, with the link and some more um, link to the book and some more information about that. So look out for that. And I'm excited. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jenny. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to that conversation with Jenny. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have a comment or a question or just anything you'd like to share, you can leave a comment for free on Substack. Every podcast has like its own post, which is really cool. So you can actually engage with it if you have a thought. Um, and again, you can find that at anyakots.substack.com. 
I have included a link to that spiritual bypassing worksheet that Jenny mentioned. That was something I did for a moment on Patreon. Uh, Patreon was basically the Substack before Substack. Uh, it wasn't free though. You had to pay to get access to, to it. And it turned out to be way too much work than I could really do. But for a while there, I was offering these worksheets on various topics, and one of them was spiritual bypassing. So um, I found it and I linked it in the episode description, uh, along with links to sign up for the book club and uh, the music that I played. There's also a Spotify playlist for every single song that I've ever played on the podcast. I just checked it and we're up to 230 songs, which is pretty cool. Uh, you can find that on Spotify just by searching A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. You'll see both the podcast and the corresponding playlist. And yeah, stay tuned. Perhaps Jenny and I will be offering something more in the realm of Saturn and Pisces and topics around responsible spirituality and how to use these energies in communal, ecological, responsible ways. So I'm going to play you out today with Human by Alex Sarah. Felt related. And that's it for now. Thank you for being here with me, as always, for supporting this work in whatever way you see fit, whether that's just listening or sharing episodes with friends or participating in the book club or engaging in the Substack community, whatever it is that you do. I appreciate it and glad to know you're all out there. Hope to meet more of you in person in the future. I feel like that's coming. I feel it. <laughs> especially with Saturn moving out of Saturn-ruled signs, finally. Uh, yeah, maybe we can get back together face-to-face. -face. That would be awesome. Until next time. If your roots are growing strong, my friend, and no more lies will bring you down. Feel the power of your song extend And no more war will kill yourself And the human people Don't stop drinking that water Lighting that fire